From ancient times, the Liturgy of the Hours has served as the public and communal prayer of God's people. It has been called the Vox Sponsae, the voice of a bride, addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his church, offers to the Father for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. All right. Hey, everyone, you're listening to Vogue Sponsae, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours brought to you by the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. My name is Nathan Wigfield, and I serve as the director here at our retreat center. Before we begin today's episode, just want to remind you to visit our website at liturgyofthehours.org. There you're going to find all kinds of resources on the Liturgy of the Hours, including a free PDF guide to getting started, page numbers for praying with the church each day of the year, a blog, online store, and more. When you visit our website, you can also sign up for our monthly online newsletter, and we'll send you a free copy of our night prayer book, a great way of get, to get started praying the Liturgy of the Hours. Also, don't forget to look us up on Facebook and Instagram. We're updating that daily with uh, inspiring quotes, sacred art, events that we host at our retreat center. And lastly, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So if you have any questions for us or if you'd like to give us feedback on the podcast, shoot us an email at info at liturgyofthehours.org. All right. Well, today uh, we have a very special guest. In fact, uh, he's the first guest that we've had on our podcast. His name is Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a priest of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. And for many years, uh, he's given retreats to priests, seminarians, and laity all over the world on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He's written a number of books on the teachings of St. Ignatius as they relate to discernment, prayer, contemplation, etc. But in particular interest to us today, in recent years, uh, he has written two books on the Liturgy of the Hours, one on his own personal journey of praying the Liturgy of the Hours as a priest, and the second as a layman's guide to praying the Liturgy of the Hours. Today, Father Gallagher joins us from Denver, Colorado, where he holds the St. Ignatius Chair for Spiritual Formation at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary. Father, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Nathan. Really happy to be here. Great. Well, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, when you were ordained a priest, a little bit about the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, of which you're a member, and uh, also about your current position as a chair of spiritual formation at the seminary? I was ordained a little over 40 years ago, and um, as an Oblate of the Virgin Mary, religious community that, as you said before, and kind of in your introduction, it's all there. Uh, of course, we're Marian. Uh, love for the church, all of those things are, are givens. Uh, and the heart of our work in the church, our charism, is spiritual formation out of the matrix of the Ignatian spiritual exercises. So it's a ministry of teaching people to pray, hmm. guiding people to a deeper communion with the Lord, um, sharing and breaking open the wisdom of St. Ignatius of Loyola about the spiritual life, and applying it to all vocations and all different situations of life, parishes, homes, retreat houses, individual spiritual direction, uh, a lot of preaching, um, just the, all of that kind of work is uh, at the heart of what we do. And um, I am here in Denver now, living with one of our Oblate communities, 
because uh, I was invited to come here as the St. Ignatius of Loyola chair for spiritual formation so that I assist in the spiritual training of the seminarians through a series of conferences each year based on different books that I've written about discernment and prayer and, and similar kinds of things in the spiritual life. The men are wonderful. They, they just really seem to love the spiritual life. Hmm. That's great. Praise God. So in recent years, you've written a couple books on the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, the first being about your personal journey of praying the Liturgy of the Hours, and then the second being more of a guide for lay people. And I was just curious, you know, what led you initially to set out to uh, write, I guess, the first book, and then as a follow-up, the second as a guide to, for the laity? Well, uh, great question, uh, Nathan. I have always loved and um, any accounts of spiritual experience. So let's say St. Therese, you know, story of a soul, you know, I mm-hmm. really latched onto that because I've always, I just love stories. And so I love learning about the spiritual life through the stories of people when they share their spiritual experience. St. Augustine's Confessions would be another and John Henry Newman's Apologia Pro Vita Su and mm-hmm. so forth. And it's always seemed to me that we don't have enough of this, this kind of writing. Uh, C.S. Lewis has done some great writing that way. And it also occurred to me that, to my knowledge, in the writing on the Liturgy of the Hours, there was literature and very fine literature on the history of the Liturgy of the Hours, on the theology of the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, even books on how to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. But what I didn't find anywhere was anyone who would describe what the actual experience of praying the Liturgy of the Hours uh, is like. What happens when you actually try to pray it? And at that point, I think I'd been ordained 37 years. And uh, it just seemed to me that somebody needed to do this. Somebody who does pray it, who who loves it, uh, who finds it fruitful has fought with it, struggled with it, the Mm. way we do, I think, with so many things in the spiritual life, understood that the struggle is worth it, experienced the fruits of it, but all the ups and downs that are ordinary spiritual experience uh, as regards the Liturgy of the Hours. I just hadn't seen anyone do that anywhere. So I, I hope not too brashly, and I hope in the Lord decided that I would do it. And what gave me confidence to do it was the awareness that my own experience is very ordinary. Mm-hmm. If this kind of writing is done well, really what you're doing is you're holding up a mirror to the reader's experience. You're not even really, you only write about yourself because you're really writing about your reader's experience if you're doing this well. I think it's Servant of God, Dorothy Day, who said, uh, when, and she wrote her own spiritual autobiography, The Long Loneliness, and uh, she said something like this, that in the long run, you write about you write about yourself because in the long run, all man's problems are the same. Mm-hmm. You can amplify that all man's struggles, all man's joys and so forth. So if that book was successful in what I tried to do, the reader reading that would say, oh, somebody else has experienced that. Oh, that gives me words for what I've gone through. Oh, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And it can be very encouraging. Or if they've struggled to read about somebody who's been through the same struggle and found a way forward, and be um, very encouraging for people. So that's how the first book came about. And that's all I ever thought I'd ever do uh, as far as the Liturgy of the Hours and writing. Uh, that was done back onto the more 
ordinary things that I was writing mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm. But what happened was that uh, EWTN invited me to, to do a series on, um, on the Liturgy of the Hours. And um, I realized that in that setting, what would be most helpful would be to speak about the Liturgy of the Hours in light of the vocation of most of the listeners, which is the lay vocation. So I adapted the material and it became a presentation on the Liturgy of the Hours uh, in the life of the lay of, of the laity, mm -hmm. how the church understands that the church is warm and encouraging well to do just what you're doing, Nathan, you know, uh, this kind of thing. Um, and again, I did that and that was over and I thought we were all set. Uh, I guess I did a series of podcasts too on that with uh, discerning hearts. Mm -hmm. We did a series uh, with Chris McGregor, wonderful um, website. And, and I believe you can find those on YouTube, right? Sure. They're, they're uh, probably on YouTube. They are on, if you go on um, a Google Play or iTunes and just do a search for my name, mm. and all of this will come up. And of course, there's a Discerning Hearts app, which is a free, uh, a free service. And if you just download that or go on the web Discerning Hearts website, all of that's available. Maybe something like seven or eight half-hour podcasts where we went through this content applying the liturgy of the hours to lay people. Right. Um, but then finally what happened was on a subsequent trip to, to uh, EWTN, they asked if I'd be willing to make a book out of it. And uh, they said they would uh, do a transcription of the television series. Mm. And that sounded fine. All I had to do was just dot a few uh, I's and cross a few T's, but I actually wound up having to write a new book, which became the second book, um, The Layman's Guide to the Liturgy mm -hmm. of the Hours. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, it kind of um, happened, I'll say, in the Lord, but it happened of its own accord. <laughs> Not hmm. something I ever planned, but I'm very happy about it. Not only because I'm so convinced now of the importance of the Liturgy of the Hours for lay people, for them to know that this resource it's not just for the priests or the nuns, but it's for them too. Uh, and to encourage that in any way that I can. But also because it's made such a difference in my own prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm -hmm. This kind of delving into it and with this kind of depth is something which has changed the way I pray it and for which I'm very grateful. I bet. Yeah, the I know the layman's guide i've talked to a number of folks and this is uh true for myself as well you know in reading it it was just such a it was accessible but at the same time it was able to take us a little bit deeper uh in understanding the nature of the prayer and also the church's teachings on the prayer i love how you walk through and break down the various quotations and excerpts of the pope's writings uh, on the Liturgy of the Hours to show us how our Holy Fathers, uh, especially over the past uh, 50 years, have exhorted the faithful uh, to pray the Liturgy of the Hours and to make it a real source of, uh, of Christian prayer, uh, of personal prayer uh, for us all. And the, fir the first book that you wrote, uh, one of the things I really appreciated about that was just how honest you were. Uh, in in that first book with your struggles and of praying the Liturgy of the Hours and going back all the way to your days in seminary. And uh, I just thought it was a very honest account. It was very candid in even some of your admissions and in terms of, you know, struggling to pray it so much that you're really wanting to do everything that was permissible in order to cut it short. <laughs> um, but all that to say, I'm curious uh, what 
your response has been one from the laity with specifically with regards to your second book, but then also I think your first book uh, also was a, you know, was an account of, of course, of a priest's struggle to pray the liturgy of the hours. And if you could perhaps speak to the response that uh, you may have gotten from uh, your brother priests uh, from, from that, from that book. Well, I think priests appreciate um, what the book attempted to do, and you've described it really well. And that is to say, honestly, you know, what, what is the experience of praying the liturgy like over the years? Um, because as I said before, I just hadn't seen that done anywhere. Most of the writing, if you read it, will be very um, laudatory with regard to the liturgy of the hours. And if you just give me a minute or two to speak about it, I'm going to say it's a wonderful resource in the spiritual life uh, for which I'm very grateful. And it's nice to know that, you know, it's, it's esteemed in that way, but I don't think that really speaks as helpfully as can be to the struggles which are inevitable. So you can say the same thing. Somebody who uh, goes to daily mass and loves it, there'll be days when that person just mm-hmm. doesn't want to get out of bed and go or days when the person is there and it just feels routine and you leave kind of hardly even realizing, couldn't even remember the readings that I've just heard and being like, feeling like I didn't really uh, appreciate deeply enough the Lord's presence in Holy Communion or the Rosary, people who pray it very faithfully and will struggle just to get through it on certain days. So all of that's uh, normal in the, uh, in the spiritual life. And uh, I think priests have appreciated the fact that somebody put that into words with regard to the Mm -hmm. liturgy of the hours. Somebody who, as I think I can honestly say, just really loves the liturgy of the hours at this point and um, and was always faithful to it, but uh, struggled with it. You see, I think there's one thing that's different with regard to priests and the liturgy of the hours and lay people. Lay people, if they pray the liturgy of the hours, do so by a free choice. There's no Mm -hmm. obligation. There's no canonical duty. And uh, that sort of infuses everything. Uh, I'm doing this because I've seen a value here and I want to do it. The priest uh, will begin the liturgy of the hours because he, it's a canonical obligation that he says yes to when he's ordained to the diaconate. And uh, he already will know, you know the, the value of it. But I think in a different way, he's going to appropriate it personally over the years. Now, he's helped in a way that the layperson isn't, I would say, because just as, for example, whether I feel like it or not, um, in any vocation, I'm going to get there to Mass on Sunday because it's an obligation and I want to be faithful, and it's going to bless me. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens with the Liturgy of the Hours and Priests. I think my journey, as I could describe it, would never have been possible had it not been for the canonical obligation mm-hmm. to be faithful to it year after year and then permitted uh, a long enough journey with it so that its real richness could begin to become apparent. So that's it with regard to the first book. With regard to the second, I'm still surprised that it's gone as far as it has. You know, again, I never considered myself a real expert in this. I just wanted to be somebody who was sharing what the uh, experience of this was like and knew enough about it to, to break it open a bit. But I am, I am convinced, you picked up well on this, that it's not enough in presenting the Liturgy of the Hours just, now it's important that this be done, but just to teach people how to handle the steps and the rubrics mm-hmm. and, uh, and to know where you find the, pay, the prayers, prayers for this day or that day. 
what you do on a solemnity or a feast day and those kinds of things. Right. We do need that, but I think that's the second step because what has to precede that is an interest in it to, make, to want to learn that. And that interest uh, is awakened when we understand theologically the richness of what the Liturgy of the Hours is. Now, if you'd like, we can get into that as we go forward. But I, I will still remember the day when it was a single line in um, the council's document on the liturgy that really opened my eyes and made me realize there's something, I've been praying this for years, but there's a richness here that I never understood. And it's about the uh, hymn of praise that is sung from all eternity, mm -hmm. in the halls of eternity. Um, it was Pius Twelfth initially wrote this, and then the council took it up. And the uh, various popes have repeated it since then. But to my mind, it's the deepest uh, intuition, sort of lightning flash of insight into the real heart of the Liturgy of the Hours, which makes you sit up and say, really? Mm -hmm. And that's available to me. I can share in this. I, I don't want to just go buy this. There's, there's... So the book tries to do that. So I don't get into the practicalities until, I'd say, certainly in the second half of the book. So that was one thing I wanted to do. Another was to trace that thread of the church's invitation, beginning with the council and in the post-conciliar popes, of this quiet but uh, gently repeated invitation of the laity to see this as their own prayer and not just the prayer of the priests and the nuns. And I hadn't seen that done anywhere, at least in that kind of, um, and sort of somewhat comprehensively. Mm -hmm. So this is marvelous. The church says it's for you. Now let's take a look at it. That's that's kind of, and then addressing some uh, often asked questions at the end. That's really what the book is. Well, you know, I already mentioned this, but uh, in your first book, you stated that, you know, for years that uh, you quote, you interiorly rebelled against the Liturgy of the Hours and saw it as something to get done and said that, you know, you would do everything admissible to shorten the prayer so you could get on with personal prayer ministry you know, I'm wondering if there, if you could describe the moment when the light came on, when you realized that something was missing and that there had to be more to gain from praying the prayer of the church. Yes, I would say that uh, I always knew that there was more to it than that. Mm. And um, I never stopped trying throughout those years to find the way to get more deeply into it. But it was only in retrospect that I realized that what I was doing was trying harder when what I really needed to do was go deeper. And once that going deeper happened, and that happened, uh, a number of things came together over the course of several years for that to happen. Um, if you'd like, we can talk about those. So I, I would try things like, well, maybe if I say a few lines of every Psalm out loud when I'm praying it alone, mm -hmm. or maybe if I sing a verse or two from the hymn, at one point uh, in this, when computers became available, I would go online, find the hymn, and uh, listen to it and sing with it. Um, I tried varying some of the readings at times, uh, not really very appropriately, but I was just trying everything that I could. So I would say, um, I don't think there was a lack of goodwill. I mean, I have my struggles like everybody does, but, sure. but I knew this was... Uh, an important part of my life, and I didn't want to just do it rotely. I wanted it to be real prayer. But I'd say that I didn't really know how to accomplish that end because uh, with goodwill, I wasn't really looking in the right place. 
I would even say it's not that I finally discovered how to look in the right place. I think the Lord in his uh, kindness just stooped down and showed me in a number of ways, you know, what that was. So uh, I'll just detail one or two of them. A lot of the work that I've done is with Ignatian discernment of spirits. And the key um, goal that he has in his essential, his basic teaching on this is to help us with what I think is the main struggle in the spiritual life for all dedicated people. And that's what he calls spiritual desolation. Mm -hmm. So those times when um, the bottom seems to drop out of the energy in our spiritual lives, you know, it's um, when, when, when God feels close and prayer is warm and alive, um, we love praying, we love being in church, we love taking new steps to live our vocations. But in time of spiritual desolation, when that warmth is gone, it's not being, we're not felt in the same way, it gets a lot harder and we struggle more and maybe prayer, I can say it reverently, it slips or we don't really, we're not happy with the quality of it we can tend to pull back from some of the steps that uh, we've been taking to grow and so forth. So Ignatius, who knows the spiritual life so well, understands that struggle thoroughly and has crafted a set of guidelines to help us understand it and get through it well. And this is his set of rules for discernment, the discernment of spirit. So I've been hmm. writing books on this and teaching this uh, repeatedly to groups of people in many places. And then I discovered something. I found that, um, well, one of his counsels is when you're in a time of desolation like that, you, you need to make prayers of petition. The first thing you do is just simply turn to God and ask for his help. Jesus, be with me. Mary, strengthen me. Holy Spirit, show me what I need to do. Or whatever prayers, you know, come to our heart, but just a prayer of petition like this regular prayer. Now, as we know, if I can say this reverently, in time of spiritual desolation, the tendency is to let prayer go. Mm -hmm. So the spaces between prayer, the times of prayer, can tend to be larger in time of uh, spiritual desolation, which is not good because um, that allows the desolation to snowball. What's not running up against uh, the turning to God, which is in prayer. And I began to experience that oftentimes what would uh, break the burden of spiritual desolation for me would be the liturgy of the hour. So let's say something didn't go well in the morning and I got a little discouraged and um, just allowed some of the spiritual desolation to kind of take over. And, uh, you know, I don't know, just wasn't as um, other centered as I could have been or whatever it might be. And the hours of the day, you know, morning, noon, early afternoon, early evening were passing and there's, there are the hours of the liturgy of the hours accumulating that I'm going to mm -hmm. have to say. Mm -hmm. And in this kind of a desolation, you know, I don't really feel the desire to do it, but all right, it's a commitment. I'm going to be faithful to it. So I would get myself to pick up the, uh, the book of the liturgy of the hours and start to pray. And the experience was invariably the same. Uh, the first minutes of the prayer would be dry and difficult and I wouldn't want to be there, but it wouldn't take very long before that would start to pass. And usually by the time I would finish praying the Liturgy of the Hours, the desolation was largely gone. And I was ready to, uh, to go on again. And after I, I saw this happen repeatedly, I began to trust that, you know, uh, turn to the Liturgy of the Hours in the time of spiritual desolation. And very often it's going to break it in, in your life. So this was just one of a number of ways in which what had been a duty to which I had wanted to be faithful 
was beginning to become something that, um, that I really desired and really experienced as helpful. I'll share another one. Uh, a lot of people would approach me asking for prayers for many intentions. Mm-hmm. And of course, I would always say yes and sincerely. But it always bothered me that, um, you know, I just couldn't, re- there were so many, I just couldn't remember them. And, and it always seemed to me that I wasn't really responding as well as I really would want to, uh, to these people who would come with such heartfelt needs, you know, that would really touch your heart and you really want to pray health or somebody dying or somebody struggling in life and all these kinds of things. And um, it gradually dawned on me. And this is at this point, this was when I was beginning to learn more about the liturgy of the hours through some of the reading. I'd say the, the really pivotal thing that I did was to read the general instruction for the liturgy of the hours. This is a 70 page document roughly in which the church explains what the liturgy of the hours is, especially the first part of it. The latter part of it is more practical. Mm-hmm. The first part is so, it's brief, it's rich. And uh, it clicked for me that the liturgy of the hours was uh, a form of prayer in which two um, directions in prayer predominate. And the primary one is praise, praise of God. And the secondary, but also important one, immediately after is intercession. And what happened was I was, uh, I was uh, um, a writer in residence at a, a Jesuit college. And uh, the Jesuits had a number of periodicals from around the world there. And so uh, at moments, I would pick these up and be reading about needs in various continents and nations of the world. And uh, then I would pick up uh, morning prayer or evening prayer. And it would click, you know, here's a chance to pray for these needs. Um, And then it began to click that, you know what, here's a chance, you know, people are asking for my prayers for many different needs, and I don't feel like I'm really responding well enough to these, but yet every day, twice a day in morning prayer and evening prayer, we have these intercessions. And so what I began to do was to, as people would ask me to pray for this person or that need, I would write these down, put these little slips of paper in a breviary. They got kind of substantial after a while. But um, it began to be wonderful because, you know, I could look at a number of them and uh, remember these people by name at that point in the intercessions, you know, after the last, the fifth or the fourth or the fifth intercession, when there's the space for personal intercessions, I could include them there. Or else even just pray a whole hour for a given, you know, a morning prayer entirely for this person's need or whatever. Mm -hmm. It began to be attractive to me in that way as well that uh, this was a way, this was my answer. It was there all the time and I just didn't see it, you know, to, uh, okay, I'll add one more, but you can see these accumulated and it was the accumulation of these things that uh, together with when I finally did the reading that I mentioned that really brought all of this together. So in the office of readings, every day we have a reading. Um, most of them are from church fathers, sometimes other saints or church documents. St. Augustine, St. John Chrysostom, um, St. Anselm, on down the line, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, just these wonderfully rich readings that, uh, that we have every day. And uh, one day I was, uh, one weekend I gave a retreat to lay people. And in the course of the retreat, we went through a, a number of, of selections from people like the church fathers and some of these saints. It was all about prayer, if I remember. So I had chosen readings from these figures uh, had to do with prayer and the people loved it. 
And in the final sharing, the people said, it's just so exciting to be exposed to these people whose um, readings we've never even, even really known before. Yeah. And to discover that there is this incredibly rich Catholic heritage, you know, and we just dipped into it a bit. And I was thinking about it afterwards and something clicked. Most of those readings that I had quoted, I had read in the Liturgy of the Hours over the years. And I realized again, you know, what a wonderfully rich resource I had absorbed over the years through praying the Liturgy of the Hours. Well, I'll, I'll stop there, but that, that's what happened was one thing, all of this is detailed in the first book. Uh, one thing after another happened like this. And um, I began to, what happened was, this is when prayer really comes alive. When we make the transition from prayer that we accept as an act of trust in the tradition, the tradition, various saints, the experience of, um, of uh, profound spiritual writers, maybe even church teaching tells me that this form of prayer is useful. The transition from prayer as an act of trust in the tradition to prayer as an experience. Mm. Now I know mm. why the church says that or the saint says that because I've experienced it myself. That's going from black and white to color, that everything comes alive at that point. And I would say over a number of years, that's, um, that's what happened for me. Mm. As you were sharing about the Office of Readings, I was thinking about how every year when we hit the seasons of Advent and Christmas, Lent and Easter, you know, I start getting emails from a lot of publishers giving me books, you know, that I should be reading and with, uh, you know, great devotions and, and things of the like. And all those are good. I never would knock those. But I always find that the Liturgy of the Hours and in particular, the Office of Readings provides us with such rich uh, devotional reading for those seasons that I just, every year I come back to them, it's like reading them again for the first time. And, you know, just to have the office of readings in a daily repertoire of, of praying with the church, but then also of, of reading from the great saints who have gone before us, who witnessed so beautifully to the, you know, many facets of the spiritual life is just, it's a inestimable gift, you know. It is. These church fathers are church fathers because the uh, church recognizes the, uh, the unique richness uh, in their writings. And I think, Nathan, that in practical terms for most members of the church, if we have exposure to the writings of the fathers, it's through the Liturgy of the Hours and specifically the Office of Readings. I don't think there are too many people, you can certainly do this, but I would say... Um, there are probably not too many people percentage-wise in the church who actually pick up a volume of uh, St. Augustine or St. John Chrysostom right. or St. Bernard. These are beautiful things to do. It's very rich re uh, reading. But I think in practice for most of us, our knowledge of the writings of these wonderful saints and church fathers really comes from the Liturgy of the Hours. The, the readings are really beautiful. Um, yeah. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, St. Gregory of Nazianzen, John Chrysostom, Augustine always did. They're just, um, there's just a wonderful warmth and energy and uh, richness. Yeah, I'd yeah. say richness in these I, writings. I've been finding, especially in Easter, you know, it's almost, it never fails. It's almost every day. I, I just, you know, I always update our, our Facebook page with uh, quotes, usually from the Office of Readings, just because they are so rich. But I have found more recently, I just, you know, I, I want to post the whole reading <laughs> because there's just, uh, there's so much there. Yeah, yeah, that's just um, 
just so many different quotes are coming to mind now, you know, as you quote this. So um, I'm, I'm glad that the Office of Readings has come up in this conversation. I would imagine that most people, when they begin the Liturgy of the Hours, don't begin with the Office of Readings. That may tend to, and I think appropriately, come after morning prayer, mm -hmm. uh, evening prayer, and maybe night prayer. But when people do begin to pray it, uh, then they experience everything that you're saying, that it's uh, just a wonderful, it's, it's manageable. You know, you're reading about probably a page and a half in most uh, books, so you're not reading 15, 20 pages a day. But they're chosen because they're so rich. There's, there's, uh, there's so much in them. And that's not even to, you know, speak of the, the first reading is always from sacred scripture. And so, you know, over the course, and I haven't done a study to, to know just how much scripture is covered over the course of an entire liturgical year, but uh, there's a good, I mean, I know during Lent, uh, you know, every, every day was from the book of Exodus and we were seeing, you know, walking through how, the is the journey of the Israelites, you know, out of uh, slavery and into freedom, was you know typological for how we understand our uh, journey through the forty days of Lent, um, and then now with Easter, uh, find it really interesting that you know the Church in her infinite wisdom, you know, places us before the Book of Revelation, you know, almost to to say to to, to remind us that you know. The, with the life, death, resurrection uh, of Christ, we have come upon the last times. You know, we have come upon these last days. And our hope is, you know, that uh, in Christ's own physical, you know, uh, death and resurrection, that our hope is that all things will be made new and conform to the image of the crucified and risen Lord. Yes, I think that's just naming another, and this is a pretty central one, obviously, because it's the Bible, mm -hmm, yeah. you know, which is the Word of God. One of the many benefits of this, I would think the same is true for most people, that uh, praying the Liturgy of the Hours keeps us in touch with pretty much the, all of the Bible. Not every verse of every chapter is in there, but the uh, essential key things in the whole history of salvation, they're all there in the course of the year. So that if you pray the Liturgy of the Hours, you, you'll have that daily contact with Scripture that the Church, the Council, mm -hmm. warmly invites everyone, including lay people, uh, to have each day. You know, uh, the image that I use for the Liturgy of the Hours and the lay vocation is that it's a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a powerhouse. There's a richness which um, thus far... Some lay people know, and what's beautiful is to see the radius of this increasing. What you're doing um, is, is one very beautiful sign of this, you know, that this is taking place now in the church. And uh, the more the sleeping giant awakens as it's doing now, the more benefits are going to be poured out upon uh, mm. people. And, you know, in a time in which uh, the culture supports us less and less in our faith, even think of the immediate circumstances now of the virus and being right. uh, deprived of liturgical prayer at church, you know, uh, the Eucharist and the sacraments in church. Well, here is a form of liturgical prayer, which is the uh, essential central prayer in the church, the official public prayer of the church, which is liturgical prayer. Here's a form that each one of us can pray uh, mm -hmm. at home mm -hmm. uh, individually or as a married couple or as families. Um, 
And I think this kind of thing becomes increasingly important when the external supports are less and less present. The church speaks of each household as a domestic church, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. description of what a, uh, a Christian family is intended to be. Domestic, domus, you know, house, a household church. It's meant to be, each house is meant to be a place where God is at the center, where faith is alive, where God is loved, where each one lives his or her vocation uh, given by the Lord as uh, parents, as spouses, as children growing and preparing for life, all as members of the church. And here is this um, liturgical form of prayer that can be prayed right in the home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you need to, you can pray it listening to the app on your way to work or while you're exercising or getting a meal. It's so available to us today and such an important tool for us today. If anyone listening to this podcast were to feel moved to deepen his or her prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, or even to begin it, uh, then everything that we're saying here will be amply, amply worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we can just increase the radius of, of those who pray this prayer, so that everything that we're talking about here will become an experience for, for so many more as well. It's the mind of the church, mm-hmm. something the church clearly wants. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, to um, just shift gears a little bit, you know, one of the, at the House of Prayer here, one of the things that we've really sought to do is um, we kind of major our, you know, our mission is in praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours, but specifically as the public and communal prayer of the Catholic Church. And, you know, in reading the the documents on the liturgy uh, from the Second Vatican Council and then the general instructions of the Liturgy of the Hours, it seems very clear that the the prayer of the church, the liturgical prayer of the church, is intended to to be public and communal, not just in its objective kind of reality, right? Like when we pray the prayer, we know that each time we open up the liturgy of the hours, the church tells us that we're joining with the angels and saints. We're joining with the church triumphant, the church militant. We're joining our voices together in offering this prayer, but that there's also a tangible reality that the the church recommends that it have a, an ecclesial nature to it, that it's expressed publicly and communally. You know, in the general instructions, it states that the liturgy of the hours is not a private matter. I think that's also stated pretty explicitly in, in Sacrosanctum Concilium from the Second Vatican Council. But for this reason, it says that the church most earnestly recommends the ecclesial celebration of the liturgy of the hours. And it says when it is celebrated in such a, such a way, it shows forth the mystery of the church and its celebration of the mystery of Christ. And she even says that the church in prayer must express its nature as a community. And then, you know, gives those in holy orders, the responsibility of initiating and directing uh, this prayer. One of the things that we found in our mission at the at the house of prayer is that when we are equipping the lay people the lay faithful with with this prayer those who have never heard of it before they've never encountered it uh they their hearts kind of set fire and uh they really latch onto it they find that it gives uh structure to their day they find that it you know gives them words to pray when they don't have the words to pray uh, they find it's a way to be deeply immersed in scripture um, without having to wonder, you know, what book do I read today? What, you know, where do I open up my Bible to today? But 
you know, when it comes to sending them home after, let's say, a retreat, uh, you know, they've rarely heard a homily, you know, on the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, most of them are not going back into churches where there's a public celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours being offered. I'm just wondering if you would have some thoughts as to, um, as to why this is the case, you know, uh, that the Liturgy of the Hours is so rarely, uh, it seems, celebrated publicly and communally and treated, you know, as a source of genuine Christian prayer within parish life? Sure. Well, we're living at uh, on the threshold, I think, of a new moment in the Liturgy of the Hours. As you know, the bishops are working on an updated version for it, which incorporates all the more recent mm -hmm. changes in the liturgy and the language. Uh, the last time I heard from and spoke with one of the priests who was part of, or very close to that whole process, he said that he thought it would be another three to five years. That was a couple of years ago. So we're probably a few years away from that yet. But I think that when that happens, I think we're going to see a whole new infusion of interest and energy in the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm -hmm. There'll be a, a kind of new page for all the priests, you know, who are praying it and the religious as they'll adjust to uh, something new, kind of like when there is an updating in the language of the liturgy, then you tend to get catechesis right. around it and explanations going on in parishes. So I think we have an opportunity uh, coming shortly down the line when maybe some of this would change. Um, I think it may be in part due also to the fact that while the church has warmly and repeatedly invited lay people to join, in praying at least parts of the Liturgy of the Hours. As I say in the book, I think this has been like a quiet thread. Uh, you don't have the popes saying this, you know, over and over and over and over again. But on the other hand, you can look at the writings of the post-conciliar mm -hmm. popes, and it's always there. And it's there in a very warm language. So, and I think there's a wisdom in that on the church's part. Uh, because until the council for about 1,500 years, differently from the origins of the church when the Liturgy of the Hours, morning and evening hymns, as it was called, was very much a part of, uh, of the prayer of the laity. Um, but once the, uh, with the rise of monasticism and then the addition of the other hours, the divine office, as it came to be called, um, largely passed into the monasteries. You still had a vestige of it in uh, Sunday Vespers in many parishes, really up to the council and in a few parishes, and some parishes uh, even since, certainly warmly recommended by the church. But essentially, you have about 1,500 years in which this prayer is understood to be the prayer of the priests, basically, and not so much the prayer, uh, or at all, the prayer of the laity. Now, the council very clearly uh, wants to go back to the origins, recognizes that it is a prayer of the priests, but we're all priests. Uh, there's the priesthood of the faithful given to us in baptism, so that all are called to participate in the sacrifice of praise, which is the praying of the Psalms and the Liturgy of the Hours. But that's a big shift, because mm -hmm. for so long, the, the lay people had shaped a spiritual life, things like the rosary and the many beautiful prayers that uh, are, would be understood to be accessible to uh, the lay vocation, had shaped a life of prayer without the Liturgy of the Hours. So I think there, there's a wisdom in the church's approach just to continually, quietly, uh, let people, let all people know, the lay people know that they're invited to this. 
and to patiently allow this to happen. And I think it is happening. Uh, something like the uh, House of Prayer would not have been here 50 years ago, mm-hmm. and it is here today. Something like this podcast series that you're doing or the books that I've written, and there are others like this now, uh, none of these would have happened 30 years ago or you know, mm-hmm. even more. There's, there's a slowly growing momentum, so I think we're going to see more of this as time goes by. So my final uh, comment here would be, if you learn to pray the Liturgy of the Hours personally, and in community, let's say one of your retreats, that person participates in it, and you go back to your parish and you just wish there was something like this, make it happen. Mm-hmm. Speak to your pastor. Um, you're quite likely to find openness. The pastor may say that that would be lovely, but I really wouldn't be able to do this myself if you're willing to take the leadership, you know, get seat to it that the, the books are available and choose the time and start. I would say start it, make it happen. And you can certainly make it happen at home and uh, amongst families as well. But I, my guess would be that many priests would be uh, pleased to have someone approach them and say, would you be willing to, to uh, if I were open to taking an in- initiative, would you be supportive of, uh, let's say, morning prayer before Mass or after Mass each morning mm-hmm. in church or evening prayer, something like that? Mm-hmm. And then uh, another parish is there. You know, St. John Paul II, you know, he devoted so much energy to the Liturgy of the Hours as uh, a public and communal prayer and even made it uh, the program for the church of the, uh, in the third millennium. Um, you know, in his section on prayer, you know, talked about how important it was for, for Catholics to have uh, a prayer that was able to fill the whole of their lives. And then you know, and then devoted his Wednesday audiences to unpacking the Psalms uh, from morning and evening prayer. And, you know, just to, I guess, I guess my, my question is, uh, you know, maybe as a, as someone who's in the ministry of uh, seminary formation is how is this uh, encouraged or um, how are future priests or even current priests being formed after the heart of the church that this would truly be public and communal, uh, not just in its, uh, in its nature, but also in how it's expressed. You probably would have to uh, get close to each seminary, you know, and the courses on the liturgy to see exactly what's being said in them. What I do see uh, from my vantage point as I work with seminarians is a very deep love for the spiritual life and for prayer. Mm-hmm. And it's something that uh, I think is growing. It's one of the very beautiful fruits of the renewal of seminaries that took place uh, roughly in the 90s, still ongoing in many ways, but some very, some wonderful things are happening. So you have an, not only an appreciation for prayer, but also a formation in prayer. That's where I help out in one of the seminaries, at least. And the men with whom I work have the best spiritual formation that I've seen in seminarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some very good things are happening that way, which promises well for the future. I think the growth that you're speaking about of the praying of the Liturgy of the Hours in common, maybe in parishes uh, primarily, will have to come both from the priests and from the people. Hmm. I, as I say, I think we are we are certainly sitting on the threshold of a whole new opportunity, at least in this country and in the English language. I think the the first the most major opportunity since the council for a renewal. I can't but believe that when the new 
um, revised Liturgy of the Hours comes out with the new translation, that the bishops won't be encouraging a catechesis and a hmm. praying of it. I, I, I'm looking forward to that, you know, when that time comes. But then also on the part of people, I think many things in the church that the church promotes happen when the lay people grow thirsty for them mm-hmm. and assist in making that happen. So I, I would warmly, I would be so glad to see priests uh, pr- promoting this more. You know, when I wrote the books, one of the things I did do was to uh, research this on the web. And if you do that, you find a lot of parishes where um, the Liturgy of the Hours is being prayed. Mm-hmm. even Sunday Vespers uh, as well in parishes. And then I would warmly encourage lay people as they get to know it, fall in love with it, say this should be available to others. It would be beautiful if we had this in our parishes to take the initiative mm-hmm. uh, just to speak up with the pastor. You know, there are many things that are divisive today, uh, but this is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, prayer prayer is something that uh, is unifies. Um, it brings people together. It can only strengthen a parish. So let's say if there's an adoration chapel, for example, and you have morning prayer together or evening prayer, or even as I've seen in other parishes, you know, before or after mass, uh, all that that's going to do is is unify and strengthen a parish. So I would not hesitate to uh, to step up and um, and be heard mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, one of the things that I was uh, surprised to find, um, you know, there's the uh, French uh, Benedictine priest and abbot, Dom Prosper Guéranger, and uh, in his preface to his work on the liturgical year, you know, he speaks just so beautifully about the divine office. I mean, it's just, it's stunning, the things that he says about the prayer of the church. But, you know, he laments uh, that at his time that the the faithful were only attending the hours of the office uh, on Sundays and on festivals on holy days. Um, and so, you know, he said, he speaks of a, of a day when, you know, that there were, uh, you know, around the clock in a parish setting, you know, where there was, uh, a public, you know, celebration of the praises of God that the people were able to frequent, you know, at will, they weren't obligated to attend those services. And I know for us, it's just, it's something that we've longed to see happen. And, I think uh, part of our mission, even we've, you know, discerned as to where we can, where there are inroads to really help lay people and priests together uh, in parishes uh, to, to make this available, you know, and, and to uh, develop resources to do what we can uh, to, uh, to help revive this beautiful liturgy of the church um, that is, uh, you know, in our experience, and I think uh, as you've articulated as well, is uh, is something that people are so drawn to, uh, especially when they when they discover it. Well, I think Nathan, that the work that you're doing and the House of Prayer is just absolutely wonderful. I first came across you on the uh, liter- on the web when I just did a, a a web search just to see what was out there. It was probably in the course of writing one or another of those books, and first came across your website and explored it and got to know it and was just delighted to see it there. In fact, I think it's one of the one of the most substantial things I found on the web for the liturgy of the hours and the lay vocation. It's just very beautiful. I think it's important to keep the, the overall perspective because all we have to do is go back 10, 20, if you want it, 50 years. We don't have to go back very far. And none of these things were happening. 
Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Dome Geranger, as, you, as you, he laments that there's so little of it. You couldn't say that today. Mm-hmm. There's a, an awful lot more of it happening. So the, the sleeping giant is awakening. You know, when people hear things like uh, Paul VI in his document on um, devotion to Mary, 1974, I believe it was, Marialis Cultus. And this really uh, opened my eyes when I, I, of course, anything about Mary interested in Oblate of the Virgin Mary. And so I read this as a seminarian when it came out. And there he describes the liturgy of the hours as the high point that family mm-hmm. prayer can reach and the rosary afterwards. Well, that's startling. <laughs> if this is the high point that family prayer can reach, how can, how can we just go by it? Mm-hmm. Especially today when families so desperately need strength, you know, and here's the most powerful high point of prayer that family can reach in the home. Well, the more these things become known and the more you say, well, gosh, there's something here to explore. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, one of those kind of aha moments or just kind of striking moments for me was in the, in the catechism where it states, and I, you know, I'm so thankful. I, uh, I came into the church through, uh, Eucharistic adoration, a, a perpetual adoration chapel that a friend had invited me to. And, you know, I just kept going back and over time just, you know, came to believe like, this is our Lord, you know, and uh, just, you know, some really powerful and intense experiences in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. But when I started to do deeper work in studying the Liturgy of the Hours, I read in the Catechism that, you know, all devotions, you know, flow from the Liturgy of the Hours. And, it said even adoration of the blessed sacrament. And I just thought, wow, is that, you know, did I read that right? You know, is that, you know, that there's this, this rightly ordered approach to the sacred liturgy that actually doesn't compete with, doesn't compete with popular devotions, the rosary, obviously Eucharistic adoration, but actually serves as a, the fountainhead uh, from which they all flow. Well, that's another key link the, the link between the Eucharist and the Liturgy of the Hours. So let's say a person goes even to daily Mass, or let's say today goes to Mass, and it's beautiful. It's the source and summit, as the Council says, of, our, of the Christian life. It's Christ himself. Yeah, Eucharistic communion is the high point of communion with mm-hmm. the Lord. But then you go back for the rest of the day. What about the rest of the day? What mm-hmm. about that communion with the Lord? And this is where the Liturgy of the Hours is the, is the uh, rich tool that the church gives us. You know that need, I think, that all devout people feel. Lord, I love the personal moments of prayer, of formal prayer, but I just wish I was closer to you and thought of you more and lived more in mm-hmm. communion with you throughout the busy hours of the day. And how do I do that? Well, here's the richest answer of the church. Five times a day, you just come mm-hmm. back to prayer repeatedly. And explicitly, the Liturgy of the Hours it's like uh, one image is the sun and the rays going out from the sun. The Eucharist is the sun, and the Liturgy of the Hours is the rays going out from the sun that fill the day. Mm-hmm. So you have the liturgical prayer of the Eucharist in church, you go home, and you have the liturgical prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, which uh, is based on the same day's celebration, uh, if it's Lent or whatever it might be, and you extend the Mass into the rest of the day. It's one of the very beautiful things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, the language I think that's in the catechism is it's through the liturgy, the hours that the Eucharist permeates and transfigures the time of each day. And, you know, right when, you know, as public masses started to be in, started being suspended and, you know, everybody was kind of, you know, shut in their homes. Uh, 
we decided to, you know, put out, we did a podcast on the top 10 reasons to pray the liturgy of the hours in a time like this. And number one was that the liturgy of the hours extends the graces of the Holy Eucharist, you know, into the time of each day. And I don't know if you have a thought on this or not, but, uh, you know, one of the things that we're thinking is like, you know, at a time when we, the faithful literally cannot receive Holy Communion, you know, can certainly make acts of spiritual communion and whatnot, but to, to take up the liturgy and to pray, you know, extends that time, uh, extends that Eucharistic communion that we last had with the Lord into the time of our day and into the time of our quarantine, however long that may last. And I would say even uh, more broadly, um, extends that communion to all others in the church as well, mm. you know, who are united in that uh, liturgical prayer. So yes, it is a powerful source for communion, Eucharistic and uh, amongst ourselves, you know, mm. in so many ways as we pray it. Yeah, so that's, that's a lovely insight that liturgical prayer may not be available because the churches are closed, but liturgical prayer is always available to us at home and individually through mm. the Liturgy of the Hours. Do we have time for one more thing? Absolutely, yeah. All right. I just want to say, um, just mention this line that I touched on earlier, because I think this, to my mind, it's the, it's the heart of everything. When the uh, council tells us that, speaks of the hymn of praise that is sung from eternity within the hall, well, in the halls of eternity, that is sung in the halls of eternity. Now, I remember reading that and saying, what does that mean? Well, if it's eternal, it, it has to mean a reference to God. And what it means then is that in the communion of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is from all eternity a hymn of praise that is sung. Well, then I said, well, what hymn, what hymn of praise is the, is the church speaking of? And I think you can look at it this way. Um, get a family together on a Sunday afternoon, parents and maybe adult children, their grandchildren, whatever, and um, just enjoy being together. And they'll find ways with or without words to let each other know uh, how much they appreciate each other, enjoy being with each other, see the goodness in each other, know that they're loved by the other. Hmm. All right, I'll take that to infinity. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity share in communion of life, and express with um, inexpressible joy, you know, the sense of the goodness of the, uh, each other, the wisdom, the love that is there. So that's the eternal hymn of praise that is sung for mm. all eternity in, within the, the womb of the Trinity. Then one person of the Trinity becomes man. So I'm still following the council here and brings that hymn of praise into this world. And now for the first time it's sung uh, it rises from a human heart and is sung on a human tongue. Mm -hmm. And then Christ, in associating all of us with him in the church as his body, invites us to join with him in that eternal hymn of praise. Once I saw that, I said, that was, wow. I mean, that's what's really happening when I've been praying the Liturgy of the Hours all these years. And I'm invited in this mm -hmm. life through Christ to join in that hymn of praise that is sung from all eternity. That was the moment when I said, not only is this something that I want to try harder with, but this is so precious that I don't ever want to be without this 
Mm -hmm. Imagine being invited to take part in that eternal hymn of praise. And that's even, so it's a cold early morning and I'm tired and stumbling over the words and, but I'm there and trying to do my best. What's really happening is in the spirit, the spirit lifts up that imperfect prayer of the liturgy of the hours as mm -hmm. I'm saying it to Jesus who leads, brings it to his father enriched with all the infinite richness of who he is and making it beautiful. That's what's really happening when I'm praying the liturgy of the hours. That's why I said before, I think once we understand what the liturgy of the hours really is, well, then the rest will all follow. Of course, mm -hmm. I want to, yeah, show me how, where the ribbons are, but I want to be part of this. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, to my mind, that's the most important thing to say about the liturgy of the hours. And, you know, uh, Garen Jay, actually, I was just reading this uh, yesterday because I was going, uh, going over uh, his introduction to the liturgical year. And he said that the lay faithful must uh, take a part in this prayer. But for them to take a full, uh, to participate fully, they need to understand this prayer. And that's what, that was one of his primary motivations in writing the liturgical year to enable all the faithful to understand more deeply the nature of the liturgy and what is happening uh, when we join in the prayer of the church, the prayer that Christ has left to, uh, to his bride. And um, I think that's it for me as well. I mean, on days when it's a struggle, you know, to, to be reminded of what is happening and what is being offered here is uh, just a continual source of, of hope for me. And uh, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's, we begin the eternal sacrifice of praise. We begin it now. Uh, we're, you know, this is a sacrifice that's never going to cease being offered. For all eternity, we are going to be joining in the sacrifice of praise and the liturgy of the hours gives us a chance to join in it today. Um, so we always, <laughs> we always joke around, you know, as we're praying and offering the, the liturgy of the hours here at the house of prayer, it's like, what would we rather be doing? <laughs> You know, what could we rather be doing than, uh, you know, offering this uh, great gift that Christ has uh, left to us? It's such a wonderful gift, and it's worth all of the time uh, involved in learning more about it and undertaking the prayer. And then, then the fruits are there, as you're saying. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us and, and to talk about the Liturgy of the Hours. Um, and thank you so much for the work that uh, you have done and continue to do in, uh, in spreading devotion to the Liturgy of the Hours and then also, you know, in your role at, at, uh, at the seminary in uh, forming, you know, future priests uh, to, uh, you know, to have a love and, uh, and a, real, a real taste and a love for, uh, for the prayer of the church. So, um, yeah, just really grateful uh, for uh, your work and also your time with us today. Well, I would say all of that to you, Nathan, and to all who are part of the House of Prayer. I'm really grateful uh, for what you do because it's such a beautiful thing and it's uh, blazing a trail that can only bring wonderful, wonderful blessings to the church. So thank you for all that you do. And it's been a privilege to be with you. Glory to God. Would you uh, be willing to close us in prayer and offer your blessing? Sure. Heavenly Father, we bless you that we can praise you. We ask that you receive from our hearts the praise, the intercession that rises up to you, and that you pour out upon us the richness of your blessings. Mary, with very willing hearts, we entrust to you this prayer, and we ask that you 
widen its radius in our hearts and throughout the church. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. All right, Father, thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Vox Sponsae, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours brought to you by the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours, the public and communal prayer of the Catholic Church. For more information, visit us online at liturgyofthehours.org. Thank you.